G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. We're a church that's all about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is entitled Children of the Light and it's part of our Living End 1 Thessalonians series. And today we're looking at the final installment in chapter 5. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Our first reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, found on page 1453 of the Pew Bible. Now, brothers, about times and dates we did not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day will surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other and we urge you brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, may the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Friends, please take a seat. Today, we have made it to the end of our 1 Thessalonians series, The Living End. 
In my first sermon, I shared some lyrics from an Aussie band called The Living End. Sadly, the passionate punk lyrics that rang out from their first album turned inwards during their career, and they started reflecting the questions that teenagers at the time were asking themselves. In this picture, uh, we've got a little bit of a screenshot from their video uh, for their song entitled, Who's Gonna Save Us, which turned 20 this year. And in that song, frontman Chris Chaney sings, Where's the writing on the wall? Who's going to save us? Who's going to provide us? Who's going to divide us? Who's going to save us? (laughs) Don't clap that. That's terrible singing. Sorry. I sing it because sometimes when I recite lyrics and they're they're from a song, it just sounds weird. (laughs) Thank you. I'm honoured. This song was an anthem for people looking for a saviour. But at the same time, it was for people who didn't believe in saviours. This highlights a problem with our culture at the moment. We all have some understanding that our world is going to end, but we ignore it. And while people across history have looked to the divine to find hope, wholeness and salvation... Our neighbours and our friends have written this possibility off. There is no God. There is no divine. And so we sing, who's going to save us? But we don't know or don't care enough to search for an answer. As we've seen over the last five weeks, the Thessalonians had an answer. They had an answer to this question. They'd chosen to put their hope in Jesus. And even though their faith was fresh, they were willing to suffer for it. 1 Thessalonians is a letter written to these brave souls who loved Jesus with steadfast faith. And if you've been with us over the last five weeks, I encourage you to think back on all the themes that we found throughout this five-chapter book. First of all, a major theme was persecution. We've seen how the Thessalonians were famous far and wide for their faith, despite violent opposition. Loving relationships and encouragement is another theme. And last week, Reverend Zoe looked at holiness and how the Christian life should be marked by sexual purity and fidelity, a healthy work ethic, and integrity springing from a desire to become more and more like Jesus. But of all the themes in 1 Thessalonians, the strongest is the coming of the Lord. To see what a big thing the second coming is, all you need to do is go and look at the final verses of each chapter in the book. In chapter 1, Paul reminds the people that they turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. (coughs) In chapter 2, in verse 19, he says, what is our hope in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? In chapter 3, verse 13, Paul prays, may God strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy when our Lord Jesus comes. (coughs) And in chapter 4, he tells us flat out, The Lord himself will come down from heaven, in verse 16. 
Today, in the final chapter, in verse 24, we read, The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Paul is serious about Jesus' return, reminding the Thessalonians of it over and over again. They have a saviour, and he's coming back to set all wrongs right. He's saying the God we worship today is the God who is returning to make all things new. And as we turn our attention to chapter 5, we get a fruit salad of advice as to how we are to live in light of Jesus' return. There are at least 22 directives Paul gives us in this chapter. It's like a graduation speech. A lot of seniors have been graduating this week, and uh, the speaker, whether it's the principal or someone else, will offer some parting advice, some salvos, some boom, 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 do this, don't do that. Um, And this is what Paul is doing in (coughs) chapter 5 here. The overarching theme, though, is that the day of the Lord is coming. The Lord will do it. So live as children of the light. Now, at this point, it's helpful to ask ourselves, will God do it? It seems like the Thessalonians thought that Jesus' return was just days away. But it's been almost 2,000 years since these words were written. So is the whole day of the Lord thing a little far-fetched? Were the Thessalonians a little bit deluded? I've told this story before, but when my parents were recently married, they went to America and they went on this bus trip. And they were sitting on the bus and all of a sudden a man with scraggly hair and a crazy t-shirt and a placard jumped on the bus and said, Armageddon is coming! And my dad said, I'm getting off this bus right now. (laughs) (laughs) Were the Thessalonians those people, doomsday prophets, part of this doomsday cult? I don't think so. In wrestling with this question, it's helpful to remind ourselves of some things. Firstly, the only guarantees Jesus gives about his return are A, that he will return, and B, that nobody knows except God. In Matthew 24, 36, Jesus says, nobody knows the day or the hour. Instead, he repeatedly tells stories of people who slack off waiting for someone important and miss out as a result. And our gospel reading tells one of those stories. And so if we take Jesus at his word, then yes, he will do it. The second thing we need to remember is that God's timing is not ours. 2 Peter 3.8 says this, and it might be on the screen. It's not there. Okay, sorry. Fiona's flying blind. Normally I'd have a clicker, uh, but somehow the clicker has just disappeared. Oh, Let's have a look at it because it's great. Yeah, so Jesus says nobody knows the day or the hour. Next slide. Yeah. Okay, 2 Peter 3 says this. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If the Thessalonians were guilty of predicting that Jesus' return would happen in their lifetimes, then they weren't the last to do so. Many have wrongly predicted the end of the world, and this should remind us that God is not bound by our timing. 
We can't force God's hand. While we may think God is slow in coming back, what is a few thousand years to the author of time? I used to get really upset with my son, of my son Micah for being impatient with me. Daddy, daddy, do this, do this. Daddy, daddy, now, I want it now. And one day in my frustration, I realized how impatient I am with God. I get frustrated with God not doing things in my time. So yes, God is not bound by my agenda, and yes, God will do it. The final thing we need to remember is that through all human history, God is yet to break a promise. He's got a perfect record. God promised that he would make a nation from Abraham's family, and sure enough, his family is a great nation today. God promised he would free his people from slavery in Egypt, and sure enough, the waters parted and the slaves walked free. God promised that he would send a suffering servant to free people from their sins. And Paul writes in verse 10, Jesus died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. It's easy to get impatient with God, but every day is a day closer to Jesus' return. History affirms that the God of the Bible is a promise-making and promise-keeping God. This is such a vital reminder that yes, the end is coming and our God is a God who will do it. So if the end is coming, are we to, how are we to live in light of Christ's return? Should we become doomsday preppers, building underground bunkers filled with Doritos? That sounds really exciting for me because I love Doritos. Um, should we stockpile weapons or beat people over the head with placards like our mate on the bus? No. As disciples preparing for the coming of King Jesus, we are to live as children of the light. Alert, but not alarmed. Paul says in verse 5, You are children of the light and children of the day. What follows is not necessarily a commentary on drunkenness or nightlife, but a reminder that we should run from sin and live for the day when Jesus returns. And that could be any day. We don't want him to find us living in open defiance of God when he returns. We're to live in such a way that when he returns, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. So what does this look like in practice? Well, pull instructions in verses 12 to 28 are the fruit salad. And, and this is the fruit salad start. If we are children of the light, preparing for the coming of King Jesus, then our lives will look like Jesus' life and our priorities will match his. And so first of all, we are to live in harmony. Leaders in the church are to care for their people, and their people are to hold them in high regard. It's possible that in Thessalonica, the leaders have already told off people in their community who had quit their jobs and were slacking off because they were saying, Ah, Jesus is coming back soon. I don't need money. I don't need to care for my family. Jesus will come back any day, so I'll just chill at home. And this is why Paul urges patience among the believers. In the climate of persecution and hostility from outside, the Thessalonian Christians were regularly getting beaten up from outsiders, 
And then there's conflict and disagreement in the community. Some people are saying, well, we don't have to work anymore. Jesus is coming back this afternoon. And some people are saying, no, no, no. We need to live in light of God's return. Alert, but not alarmed. Jesus, uh, Paul says to the Thessalonians, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. He's uniting the community, telling them to live in harmony. Friends, as we strive to live as children of the light, we need to remember to leave justice to God. If God will judge the world, we don't need to get our own back. Jesus says again and again, we should love our enemies and pray for those who wrong us. Perhaps it's your boss at work, or your colleague, or your neighbour, or that family member who you know will be at the Christmas party. God's advice to you is live in harmony. God wants us to reflect his grace and mercy to that person so they may know he is the God who will do it. The second fruit in our fruit salad is rejoice always. I have a friend who whenever I ask him how he's doing, he says, rejoicing, David. And then he goes and tells me what he's learned about God this week. Now, it's important to note that the word rejoicing describes an inner joy that reflects a deep reality. It's not a superficial high that lasts only as long as our luck. We are to pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. Paul is not saying that we should be constantly mumbling prayers or badgering God. Jesus forbids this. Instead, our lives are to be marked by regular, short prayers. Of thankfulness. Notice that we're to pray in all circumstances, not just giving thanks when the Maroons win the origin or when God gives us a parking spot and we find our keys. All circumstances means when times are good and when times are bad. Kathy Keller offers a really helpful analogy in this instance. She says, imagine there was a pill that you had to take every day, and if you didn't take it, you would die. You'd never say something like, oh, I just forgot to take it, or I just just didn't have time to take it, or "Mm, I wasn't in the mood to take it. This is daily prayer. Daily time spent with God is essential. It is the life-giving pill that we can't do without. If we are to stay alive and avoid dying spiritually, continuous prayer and thanksgiving is vital as we prepare for the coming of King Jesus. Next part is don't quench the spirit. This is a really cool way to describe what we often try to do with God's spirit in our lives because the Holy Spirit comes like fire. Here Paul's saying, don't pour water on the fire of the Holy Spirit. Without a Bible, the early church had to rely on words of wisdom and encouragement from the Holy Spirit. But it seems in Thessalonica, some people were tempted to forbid others sharing thoughts, ideas and words that they felt came from God. At the same time, it seems that some people shared things they thought came from God And they were not good. In fact, they were evil. To claim that you have a message from God 
when in fact you know you don't, is evil. And this was causing confusion in Thessalonica. This is still an issue in churches today, where some churches will have people claiming God said all sorts of things to them. And other churches will silence and ignore people who feel that they have a word of prophecy. Paul navigates between these two positions, telling us not to reject what people say are prophecies, but to test them. Thankfully, over time, the church has collected books which we recognize are definitely inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we call it the Bible. (laughs) This makes it much easier to test prophecies today. If someone claims that they are speaking a message from God, we test what they say against Scripture. This is our final source of knowledge about God. If it lines up with the Bible, then don't reject it. But don't obsess over it. The next fruit in our fruit salad is let God sanctify us. In verses 23 to 24, Paul bursts into a prayer for the Thessalonians. His prayer is that God would sanctify them through and through, body, mind, and spirit. Sanctification is the process by which God makes us more like Jesus every day. We are saved by God's grace through faith in a moment. But as long as there's breath in our lungs, God isn't finished sanctifying us. As we worship God, he will continue to sanctify us. Former Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, says this, For to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open up the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. Sanctification takes effort on our part. Following Jesus isn't easy or automatic. But ultimately, we can't follow Jesus without his help. In verse 24, Paul reminds us that we have a faithful God who will bring to completion what he has started. He will do it. And so, finally, we are to bless each other. The final way Paul calls us to live in the light is to bless one another. He mentions a holy kiss Uh, which was uh, like a peck on the cheek, but it was more meaningful. Um, It was like a holy handshake shared between friends. And so whether we rub noses or just give people a warm handshake at church, it can mean a lot. Many people today don't want handshakes or or warm hugs, particularly after COVID-19. And so we should treat this passage carefully. But healthy physical affection can communicate God's love for a person better than all the words in the world. So today it's important to think about how you greet people when you see them in church. Do you leave the person sitting alone looking for a friend by themselves or do you greet them in a way that shows them how much God loves them? If someone in your small group is having a rough time, do you tell them to just cheer up and suck it up or do you offer them a hug as we live in light of jesus return 
we should be blessing each other and helping one another to live as children of the light. And so, friends, as we finish up this series in 1 Thessalonians, let's hear God's call to be the living end. While our world is singing, who's going to save us? Desperately looking for a saviour and assuming that one is never going to come. We can have confidence that one day soon, Jesus is returning to make all things new. We have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow because of Jesus. Whether the day of the Lord comes at the end of our lives or Jesus returns during our lifetime, it really doesn't matter. Our future is bound up in Jesus all the same. So let's live in joy in light of Jesus' return. Alert but not alarmed. Let's be the living end. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.